Okay, we're going to jump into our message. Uh, we're in a series entitled A Word from the Wise. We've been going through the book of Proverbs. We've been looking at some of the things that the book of Proverbs communicates to us, some things that we can take and tools that we can use to help us grow in wisdom. I don't know about you, but I could definitely use more wisdom. I don't think I've met anybody who, who was correct in the statement that says I'm wise enough. Uh, we could all use wisdom. We could all use more of God's wisdom. We could all use more of an understanding of what God would, how God would want us to live and respond and principles and patterns that God gives us in his word. And, and I don't know about you, I, I really enjoy the book of Proverbs. I enjoy the wisdom in it and the insight in it. I understand that, that, that some of the things can be really easy to kind of almost kind of make them into little pithy little sayings and little things like that. But we have to remember this is God's word. This is, this is inspired God's word. And so these are more than just these little, little sayings. These are things that we can take and use and apply in our lives to help Help us to live a life that would be even more pleasing to God, that would be even more used by Him, because instead of walking in our own wisdom, in our own understanding, in our own uh, willingness to see the world in a very small way, now we're seeing it how God would want us to see it. Now we're, we're looking at a bigger picture than before. Because here's the thing, I don't know about you, but as one person, we tend to have a very narrow, very shallow understanding of really the whole picture. But God can see it all. God can put it all together. God knows the bigger, longer, deeper picture. And so when we can tap into his wisdom and his understanding, then our understanding and, and, and view of things can grow a little bit. And I want to be a person that has a God-centered view of the situations that we find ourselves in. Because I don't know about you, but, but I look around at times and I see stuff and I'm going... Man, that's, uh, I don't know about this. this. I don't understand all this. But when we can take God's wisdom and kind of apply it to what we're seeing and what we're experiencing, it can bring us joy, it can bring us peace, it can help us to know that God is in control of all of these things. And so we've been talking about basically over the last few weeks, I probably am going to talk about it every week, so just be ready, about the Hebrew word that we use that comes from this idea of wisdom. And the wisdom word uh, in Hebrew is this idea of chokmah, okay? Chokmah, which basically translates skill for living, okay? So when, when, when Solomon, in, in all the times where he talks about wisdom, and last week we talked about some of the characters, and we talked about lady wisdom, and the wise person, and the fool, and the simple, and all these sort of things. When we're talking about this wisdom, the understanding that Solomon wanted us to get through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was these are some tools that God wants to give us to live our life the way he wants us to live. And so it's this idea of chokmah, it's this idea of skill for living that we've been focusing in on, looking at, and kind of unpacking together. And so as we kind of do that, over the next several weeks, we're going to begin to kind of look at the wise person. Like we talked about last week, we kind of talked about some of the cast of characters we talked about the fool, we talked about the simple, we talked about uh, the mocker, we talked about Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly and all these sort of things. And so I want to take some time to really dive into the, the wise person. What does the wise person look like? What do they what do? They do? What, is, what is some truth about who they are? And so over the next several weeks, we're going to look at that. And this week, we're going to look at something that sometimes we don't always see as wise, but at the same time, throughout Proverbs, we see it mentioned again and again and again. And that is this, the wise person, it's in your notes, is diligent. The wise person 
is diligent. The wise person is a person who is basically, and I like to put it this way, is a man or woman of action. And in Scripture, especially in Proverbs, we see this, this contrast that, that Solomon brings up between basically the wise person and the lazy person. Some, some translations say the slothful person or things like that, which is, which is interesting. I don't know if you've ever been to the zoo or ever, you know, watched on TV and you see the animal called the sloth. I mean, I don't know if there was a, I, you know, when I see Adam in heaven, I'm going to be like, dude, you, that was a good one. You did good on the sloth. That was a perfect name. Some I'm not quite sure on, but sloth was great because that thing sleeps like 22 hours of the day. I don't know for sure. Ask my son. He'll tell you. I'm sure he knows, okay? Maybe your, your kids probably know too, you know? But, but, but that's the, 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 the contrast that we're looking at here. So, so the wise person is diligent. The wise person is, is about action. The wise person is, is about doing, not just hearing. It's about taking the understanding and the knowledge that you're getting and applying it. Okay? Okay? It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't help me if you say to me, hey, is your car busted? Yes, my car is busted. The engine doesn't work. Well, guess what? I got great news for you. What's that? I can fix your engine. Awesome. Will you do it? No. Why not? I don't want to. I'll get hot. I'll get sweaty. It takes too much time. Listen, knowledge without the action to apply it really doesn't do much for us. Okay? If we want to be transformed by God's word, we have to not just read it. We need to not just understand it. We need to apply it to our lives. That's what leads to the transformation that we desperately need. Look at James 1.22. In James 1.22, it says this. We've heard this before. Obey the word of God. If you hear only and do not act, you are fooling yourself. Isn't it interesting that in the New Testament, James is writing about this concept. Listen, you got to know God's word. You need to study God's word. Yes, you need to obey it. But listen, if all you do, if you don't act on it, he calls you a fool. You're foolish. We talked about the fool last week. It is in contrast to the wise person. So in James, he's basically saying this, and it's simple and it's easy, and I put it in a sentence so we could see it. Though basically it says, the wise turn knowledge into action. The wise turn knowledge into action. If you know it, but don't act on it, James tells us, Proverbs tells us, you're foolish. You're foolish. And the problem is that for a lot of us, we know a lot, but we're not necessarily willing to live it out. What's interesting about all this, okay, is that Solomon, who Scripture tells us was the wisest man that ever lived, still didn't do these things. He wrote about them. He had great knowledge. But if you look at the end of his life, he stopped acting on what he knew. That's an important message for us. It's something important that we can see. The guy that we're looking at that's going, that said all these wise things, that, that, that through the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit wrote down these proverbs for you and for me, this hokma, so that we could learn and grow and, and understand God's plan for our lives. Even he forgot to apply it. And when he did, it led to some really big problems in his life. Some major issues. So we not just need to be basically people that are wise, quote-unquote, 
but people that take that wisdom and are diligent in applying it and acting upon it. Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 24. And Proverbs 24, this is kind of a little bit of our text this morning. Proverbs 24 says this, Solomon's writing, he says this, I went past the field of a sluggard. A sluggard is basically another term for someone that's lazy. Past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. So look here at verse number 30. And basically what we're comparing here, what he's seeing is someone who has no sense and someone that's lazy. He's putting these things together automatically here in verse 30. And this is what he says. He's walking past, he's looking, he's observing, he's seeing this vineyard. And he, sees, he says, thorns have come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. Now listen here, I applied my heart to what I observed. What's he doing here? He's putting application behind what he's seeing and, and understanding, okay? So he's looked, here's the story, he's looked out, he's seen this vineyard, he knows that it's not what it needs to be because he sees thorns and weeds and, and the wall is broken down. So he begins now to apply from his heart what I observed and lesson I learned and I learned a lesson from what I saw. Now as we go into verse 33, we're gonna see that. This is the lesson he takes from this experience. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Now, before we get into this, I want to stop here and I want to take a step back so that we all understand some context here. Solomon is not telling you and I am not telling you that there isn't a time for rest. Okay? We have the Sabbath. We have God's pattern for us. Created six days, he rested. Rest is important and it is a part of our lives. And it can be just as detrimental to have no rest as to rest too much. Like most things in scripture, like most things that God wants us to understand, there is a healthy balance that we need to look at that God wants us to, to live out. Okay? So here's how it's like. If you don't rest, that is a problem. That is not wise. If you rest too much, guess what? That's a problem and that's not wise. And so in this, don't walk out of here going, oh boy, I can't rest. No, 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 no. We need to understand that rest is important and rest is needed. Okay? But what we need to understand is for some of us, our rest, okay, has turned into laziness has turned into inaction. And one of the things that I see sometimes, unfortunately, in the church as a whole, is we have spiritualized laziness into saying, I'm resting, okay? And listen, you may be able to fool me, you may be able to fool others, but you're not gonna fool God. God knows your heart, okay? And so I just want you to know, resting is good. Laziness is kind of what we're talking about here in contrast to someone that's diligent. So I want to do this this morning as we kind of look at this together. I want to look at four truths that I feel are, are here concerning the diligent person. I want to look at four things that will help us to be a diligent person, to find that balance between rest and lazy, and to help us to be about our Father's business, as it were. So four things that we're going to look at together. Number one, diligence prompts the wise to be observant. 
It prompts the wise to be observing. Aaron, what do you mean? Let's look at this together. Proverbs 24 again, looking at 30 through 31. It says, I went past the field of a slugger, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Now look at 31. This is one we're really going to focus in on this morning. It says, thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. Okay. The wise person, the diligent person is a observant person. There are people that are looking and they're being willing to see issues and problems that come and arise in all of our hearts and deal with it. One of the things that a diligent person does not or does do is is willing to look at their own heart and their own life and go, hey, you know what? There may be some stuff here that I need to deal with. Solomon mentions three different things that he observes. And these are three different things that I believe we can allow to grow in our heart that if we are lazy and do not deal with, are going to cause us some serious issues. So let's look at this progression together that Solomon takes us on when it comes to Proverbs 30 and 31. The first thing we see is the thorns, okay? We see the thorns. He notices the thorns have grown up in this vineyard. Now, obviously, what's a thorn? A thorn is a sharp, pointy thing that if you grab a hold of it, you're going to find some pain, okay? I remember as a kid, like, going, why, did, why, do, why do these beautiful red flowers that ladies like so much have these sharp, sharp things on them? He's never a big fan of that. But here's the thing about a thorn. If you grab a hold of it and you grab tight, it is going to bring you some pain, it is going to bring you some hurt. I remember growing up in one of more houses that I grew up in, basically, my first one that I really remember. And mom and dad had rose bushes in the front of the, of the house. And guess what? It was not good when I hit my tennis ball or my wiffle I couldn't use a hard ball. It would break a window. But my tennis ball or my wiffle ball would go inside one of those bushes. And listen, I don't know about you, but I was like, no, I'm not going to let this game end. i got to still play. It's only, you know, I've only been playing for five hours. we still got seven more hours to go. And so I remember having to, to kind of get in there and, and, and trying to reach in there and grab the ball. And as I would, you know, it would begin to pull and scrape and cut. You know, usually the worst part was not going in. It was going out. Remember that? Remember that? And in our hearts, thorns can begin to grow. In our hearts, these things, the diligent person observes that. Because here's the thing. When we allow thorns to grow in our hearts, they can bring, bring pain and obstacles. Pain and obstacles come. When you will allow those thorns to grow. And listen, here's the thing you need to understand about all these. All of these things can happen in any one of our hearts. The diligent person observes it and makes changes and does things to eradicate those things. The lazy just allows it to be, just lets it go, doesn't matter. But if you allow thorns to grow in your heart and in your life, they will bring you pain. They will bring you pain. The second thing that he notices, he notices weeds. He notices weeds. Man, I hate weeds. Don't you hate weeds? Weeds are one of those things that can just pop up anywhere. No one plants weeds, as far as I know. If you do, boy, that, you got some issues. But they just kind of grow wherever. And you know what? You know, so the next thing he says is weeds. And you know what weeds do, don't you? Remember Jesus? He talked about the parable of the sower. And the, the sower goes out and he begins to spread seed. And, and some of the seed falls among the weeds. 
And Scripture says that it hits the ground and it really sprouts up. But what do the weeds do? The weeds begin to choke out the life. That is so true of so many of us at times where we will, we will get the seed and we'll, we'll get excited and we'll, we'll this or that. And, and basically, as it says in the, that story, the cares of life tend to reach up and tend to grab and tend to choke out. If we don't do that, listen, here it's in your notes, when we allow weeds to grow in our hearts, they can choke out life. The cares of life can just come up on us and, and just choke things out. You know, this morning I was sharing as we were singing, you know, turn your eyes to Jesus. You know, again, just pure honesty and pure just where I'm at sometimes. That, this is one I deal with a lot. The weeds grow up in my heart. And, and, and maybe here's the thing, you know, like we super spiritualize the weeds sometimes, you know. You know, it's like, we, you know, oh, look, it's a dandelion. Isn't it beautiful? It's a pretty yellow flower. No, it's a weed. It's a weed. And we tend to do that and think, oh, but, you know, I'm, I'm focusing on this or I'm focusing on the church or I'm focusing on that. And the thing is, really what it's doing, it's choking my spiritual life out from me. And sometimes, listen, sometimes we need to go weed eating and we need to pull some weeds in our heart. The diligent, wise person goes, man, there's a weed there, I'm going to get it. Others just let them grow and let them grow and let them grow. And all of a sudden, it's just this massive weed field and when that happens it chokes out the things of life that God really wants there the third thing the third thing you notice is is the stone walls are in ruins so he comes he sees this vineyard and he sees thorns and pain and weeds and choking out life but he also sees these these stone walls now these stone walls were there for a couple reasons one they were boundary markers Okay? There were things that, that basically, this is your land, and this is my land, and you're going to take care of this, and so on and so forth. So that was one thing. But also, the reason why they would build these was to keep animals out. It was basically like what we do today. You know, we, wanna, we have a garden, and we don't want the rabbits to take our garden, so we'll put up chicken wire or something like that to keep the animals out. And here's the thing. When, it, when these stone walls have been torn down, when they're in ruins, when they haven't been upkept, basically at this point, any animal can come in and feast and eat and do whatever they want. Listen, this is in your notes. When we allow the stone walls to be in ruins in our hearts, things can, things can get in that can destroy. Okay? Now, can I, can I just be clear with you? And I might make some of you mad, but I'm, just, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just going to, I love you, but we need to talk about this. There are things at times that some of us are allowing into our hearts because we don't think that it's that big of a deal, but they will bring destruction, okay? There are things that we're watching, there's things that we're listening to, there's things that we're allowing to come in that will eventually destroy us. Do not think that you are immune to not what the Bible says when if you basically put garbage in that you're not going to get garbage out. Walls are there for protection they're there to give boundaries. They're there to show you what is yours and what is others. Boundaries are good and of God. But when you allow those boundaries to be torn down because you think, eh, one rabbit, what will one... <laughs> A gardener's last words. What will one rabbit do? What will one rabbit hurt? I got acres of food. 
Well, I don't know about you, but I know a little bit about rabbits. Rabbits don't stay one rabbit for very long. Somehow, you got one rabbit. I don't know. It's a miracle. I don't know. But somehow, the next thing you know, you got 200 rabbits running around. Listen, when you allow certain things into your life, they will grow exponentially if you're not careful. We need our walls. The walls that aren't your walls because you think it's right, but because God's word has said it's right and wrong. And so he looks here, he sees this, and he's like, oh my goodness. He says, there's thorns, there's weeds, there's stone walls. The diligent person does this. The diligent person says, I need to go and take care of the thorns. The diligent person says, listen, I'm going to go weed. The diligent person says, listen, yes, my stone walls may be in ruin, but they can be fixed. They can be brought forth and made strong again and keep out the things of the enemy that he would love to bring in to destroy me from the inside out. So important. So he sees this progression. A wise person is observant. Look at Proverbs 20. Proverbs 24 says this, those too lazy to plow in the right season will have no food at the harvest. So many of us, we think, hey, we're, it's just going to magically happen. It's just, we're just going to magically be able to, to handle these things. The observant person looks and they say, what season is it? What's going on? What's taking place? And they plant in the right times. They harvest in the right times. But the lazy person does none of those things. And what's scary about it, as we kind of move into this next point, is they expect to reap a harvest anyway. And that brings us to the second truth, and that's this. Diligence is the prescription to cure entitlement. It is this, listen, if you, you know, we look around, we talk about this a lot as far as what our society and our culture is, is this idea of entitlement. This idea that I don't have to plant. I don't have to put the seed. I don't have to worry about the seasons. I can just have things magically appear. And that's just not what God's word says. Look at Proverbs 12. Proverbs 12, verse 11. It says, a hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies has no sense. Who has the food? The hard worker. The diligent, the person who's willing to plant and work and do these things. Now listen, let me help you with this. Sometimes that doesn't always happen. Let me give you a perfect example, but I'm going to explain to you why this is happening. My wife has spent a lot of time working on a garden, okay? I'm excited about the garden. Something in the garden, not so excited about. I'm excited about my tomatoes. Listen, I'll be honest with you. Can I be honest with you? I have not really done much to help with the garden. Sorry. I think I brought some buckets out. I think I've watered maybe once or twice, but I'm really not a gardener. But listen, I love homegrown tomatoes. If you do not, we will pray for you. And in my wife's goodness and grace and love for me, she shares her tomatoes. Our father is the same way. Even, even sometimes we don't help the way we should. Even though we feel a little entitled, he still will help us. But listen, hear me here. If you live a life of entitlement, you will never, ever, ever, hear me, experience the fullness of what God wants to do in you and through you. Why? Simple. Because an entitled person is not a servant. 
An entitled person sits back spiritually saying and says, serve me, do what I want. Where a servant says, how can I serve you? Now here's the thing too, you need to understand this. There are people, listen, there are people that really need help. And we are commanded in scripture to help them. Okay? Scripture calls them, and here we need to understand here a little bit of, of, of not translational difference, but cultural difference. In, in Scripture, they're called widows and orphans. Now, that does not mean that all you have to do is find some widow in your street or, find, or go to the orphanage and help them. That is fine and that is good. But what that is basically communicating to us is this when we look at the culture of the time and the context. What we're commanded to do is to help those that have a hard time helping themselves. Do you understand? Because at that time, if you were a widow, you were in trouble. If you were an orphan, you were in trouble. You had no way of supporting yourself. And we are commanded by God to help those who cannot help themselves. Do not misunderstand me. But here, what we are seeing in Scripture and in Proverbs is not those that cannot help themselves, but those that can and are refusing to do so. Here's the deal. Here's what you need to understand, especially spiritually. Listen, I know it's well easy to go to the social part of this and all those things, but we're talking spiritual here. Listen, entitlement is not just looking for a hand out. It is looking to take our hand off. And that's the difference. When God has called every single one of us to be about our, his work, to be busy, to be diligent, to not take our hands off what God wants to do, but to put our hands off on what God wants to do in us and through us. And he's called us all to do it as followers of Christ. Look at Ephesians 2.10. Love this verse. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to be about our Father's business, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Colossians 3.23-24. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So good. So important. You say, Aaron, you don't know my boss. I don't care if I know your boss because I know what scripture says. I've had hard bosses too. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's fun. I'm not saying it's, but here's the deal. Your boss ain't your boss. Got it? Your boss is Jesus. And we serve him. We work for him. We do what we do for him, which also when we turn that coin over tells us something else. When we're lazy, guess who we're letting down? Guess who we're not working for? It's important. Important. You want to cure entitlement? Serve. You want to cure that in your heart and in your life? Serve somebody else. Because when you do that, you're not just serving them. You're ultimately serving the Lord. But listen, all of us have that option. All of us have that opportunity to make a difference. Number three, diligence paves the path to influence. It paves the path to influence. Look at Proverbs 12. Proverbs 12, 24. It says this, Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor. Another 
translation that I looked at said this, diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in slavery. Slavery. Listen, a lot of us, we want, listen, we want to have influence in our world. We want to have influence in our family, in our churches, in our schools, in our community. You know how one way that comes? It comes from serving. It comes from working. It comes from being diligent to do the things that God has asked you to do. And here's the great thing, and maybe some of you are going to go, oh, I don't know about this. But you know what the great reward for diligence really is? You know what the great reward for doing work and doing work for Jesus well is? Guess what? It's more work. Work. It's more work. You know, some of you are like, okay, that's it, I'm out, let's go have lunch. I don't, I don't like this, you know. It's more work. You know, Jesus tells the story in Matthew, we've talked about it before, of the talents. And he comes to his servants and he gives them certain amounts. He said, I'm going to give you ten and five and one or whatever. And then he begins to give them out. And then he goes away. And the one that's been given the most, he takes and he invests it and he gains more. And so does the second one. What's the third one do? He buries it in the ground. When the master comes back, he's very excited about the first two. And you know what his reward for them is? More work, more responsibility, more, more influence. Look at Matthew 25. Matthew 25, 21 says the master was full of praise. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Listen, you've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Look at that. Isn't that interesting that when Jesus gives us, when we do a good job with what he's given us, he wants to celebrate that. That's exciting. That's wonderful. Let's give you more responsibilities. And listen, when we get more responsibilities, the response isn't, oh no. The response is celebration. Why? Because God looks at you and says, you are faithful with something small. I'm going to give you something bigger to make an impact for me and your world. So big, so important. But you know what? The one that buries it, you know what Jesus calls him? A wicked, lazy servant. I just buried it in the ground. You know that God... Listen, hear me here. <laughs> this is going to sound weird, but just go with me. God hates burials. He hates it when people are buried, and he hates it when talents and giftings are buried. You know why? Because God loves life. He loves the life that can be brought when someone who is dead in their sin is brought alive in him, and when talents that have been buried and not used can be brought alive to bring life into the person giving and the others receiving. God hates burials. God hates them. He doesn't like them. Burials in a lot of ways, and you break it all down, burials really came into the picture because of sin. So whether you have been given something small or great, if you want your influence to grow, which I pray is our prayer for every single one of us this morning, it means that you're going to have to be diligent with what you've been given. Don't, don't listen. One of the things that robs us of our influence and our diligence is when we begin to look at other servants and see what they got. Okay? When we, we, we kind of kind of look at our plate and we go, remember if you, the story, remember one servant got a certain amount, nobody got the same amounts. Okay? 
And here's the thing. Let's use the second servant, for example. If the second service servant had basically said, well, it's not fair. I didn't get the same service. He gave more money to him and not me. And I, I just, you know, obviously the master doesn't love me as much as he loves the first guy, because if he had done that, then he'd love me. And you know what? I'm going to sit here and pound rocks and just cry my little heart out. <laughs> he would have missed an opportunity. He would have been just like the first servant. Even though he didn't bury it, his complaining and comparison to others kept, would have kept him from experiencing the good blessings of God and even more responsibility. Listen, don't, listen, I, I hear this all the time. I can't sing like they can. I can't serve like they can. I can't speak like they can. Can you do me a favor? To really be influential in the way God wants us to for his kingdom, can we focus on our plate and what's on our plate and not necessarily on what's others' plates? Okay? Because God gave you pur purpose and they may be different than somebody else. And to accomplish God's purpose for you, there are going to be different giftings and different talents and different abilities. That's all there is to it. God in his infinite wisdom did that. So listen, if you want to look at somebody else's play, do it this way. God, thank you so much that you gave them those talents. God, I pray that you would help them to use them for your glory and your kingdom. And Father, for the things you gave me, for the things that you gave me to do, God, I pray that you would help me to do those things. So Father, I celebrate their giftings. I celebrate their talents. And Father, I also celebrate what you gave me. And I know with your help, I'll be able to accomplish your plan and purpose for my life. Don't let your influence be robbed because you're too busy looking at other people and what they have. The final thing, and this is obviously the most important, diligence always points us back to Jesus. Diligence always points us back to Jesus. Look at John 17, 4. Jesus is praying to his Father and he says, I brought you glory. I brought glory to you here on earth by what? By completing the work you gave me to do. Listen, hear me here. If your thought of Jesus, okay, here, if your thought of Jesus is this guy that kind of wandered around for three years and taught and kind of didn't do anything, I'm here to tell you that's not what Jesus' life story is, okay? He didn't just magically appear as a baby and then magically appear uh, when he was 12 and got lost in the, or, you know, was in the temple situation where his parents lost him and then magically showed up as a 30-year-old ready to teach and preach, Jesus was a worker. Jesus worked hard. Jesus, did a, Jesus didn't, didn't just sit around and let things come to him. Okay? Jesus is a great example for a person that's diligent. Okay? And it's someone that we can look at. But even, even in that, and those are just some of the things I was talking about, more of the, the kind of earthly things, you know, the job and the working and to providing a lot of scholars believe that probably Joseph, we don't see Joseph after Jesus' experience in the temple when he's 12. We don't see Joseph again in Scripture. A lot of theologians believe, a lot of scholars believe that obviously sometime in there, guess what Mary became? A widow. Remember we talked about who needed help? Jesus was supporting his own mother. He was taking care of her because she couldn't take care of herself because somewhere probably in that time, Joseph passed away. We see Jesus in his ministry. We see his brothers and sisters. We see Mary. We don't see Joseph. And so more than likely, Jesus was taking care of her. He was working. 
And then spiritually speaking, he completed the work that God set him out to do on this earth. But here's the thing. Jesus is still working. You knew that? Did you know that? Jesus, Jesus didn't ascend to heaven and go, I'm done. Our example is still going on today. So as we close this, I want to look at this. How is Jesus still working? Because I want you to be encouraged by this. Number one, he is still building his church. He's still, still building his church. Look at Matthew 16 18. Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, let's stop here for a minute. Let's give a little context. The rock, the understanding that Jesus is speaking of here is just earlier in the scripture, just a few, few verses before, Peter makes a statement of faith. He basically says, you are Christ. You are the Messiah. You are God's son. Okay? Because basically, they, Jesus has asked his disciples, who do people say I am? And some say, oh, some say you're John the Baptist raised from the dead. Some say you're a prophet. Some say you're Elijah. Some say blah, 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 blah. And uh, and Jesus says, who do you say I am? One of the questions that every human being is going to have to answer. Who do you say I am? And Peter's response is, you are basically God's son. You are the Messiah. Basically, Peter says, you are exactly who you have said you are. Now Jesus responds with verse verse 18. 18. And he says, on this rock, the statement of faith and understanding of who Jesus is, I will build my church. Listen and understand this. I know at times you'll turn on the news and you'll turn on stuff and you go, the church is dying, the church isn't doing anything, it isn't effective, and I'm going to be honest with you, there are times where I look at it and I go, maybe they're right, maybe we haven't gotten it, but you know what, we have a statement from our Jesus This is, I'm going to do this and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you know what, there's times where you know what it feels like? The gates of hell are coming at it. But Jesus says, listen, I'm building it. Not Peter, not an organization, I will build. And the Father and Jesus are still building his church. I want you to be encouraged by that. I want you to know that he is still working in that. Number two, I love this one. He's preparing a place for us. He's He's preparing preparing a place for us. John 14, 2 through 3. There is more than enough room in my Father's house, Jesus is speaking. If it were not so, what I have told you, that I am going to prepare a place for you. When when everything is ready, I will come and get you, so that you will always be with me where I am. Jesus is preparing a place for you and for me. And one day, now hear, hear me here, One day, it's all going to be ready and we're all going. But for some of us, things are already ready. You ever been on a vacation? And you you know, okay, we're going to stay at this hotel and check in times at like 4 o'clock. You know, that drives me crazy. You know, I'm like, I want to get in. I want to get to the hotel. You know, maybe you've been driving for a long time. You know, it's like, no, check-ins at four. So you have to figure something out. But isn't it wonderful when you maybe get a phone call or a text or something? And it's like, your room is ready early. I love that. I'm like, we can go to the hotel room. Like, I'm, I'm one of these weird guys. I hate living out of a suitcase. So my wife laughs at me, my son laughs at me, but when I go to a hotel, and now you can laugh at me too, I unpack, I literally take everything out of the suitcase and put them in drawers, because I'm weird, okay? Sorry. So I like going to the hotel and getting everything set up. 
You know, for some of us, for some of us, everything was ready. And so Jesus called us home. But for all of us that are left, there's going to be a day when it's all ready and he's going to call us home. He's preparing a place for you. He's preparing a place for me. And I don't know about you, but I can't wait to see what he has prepared. I heard someone once say that we look around at this beautiful, broken world that God created in six days. Jesus has been in heaven for thousands of years preparing. What do you think he's come up with? Bible tells us that we can't even enter into the heart and the mind of man what God has prepared for those that love him. He's preparing. So he's building his church. He's preparing a place for us in the final one. He's, he's interceding for us. He's, he's interceding, interceding for us. Look, Look at, at Romans 8, 34. It says, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Jesus Christ who died more than that who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Hebrews 7, 25 basically says the same thing. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Now, as I kind of was putting this together, and this idea of intercession can be somewhat confusing to us. Uh, we think intercession can be one thing, and maybe it is one thing here on earth, but I believe scripturally when we break down the original Greek, I'm not going to get into that this morning, but when we really break these things down, we're seeing a little bit of a different understanding of what Jesus is really doing. Now, it's in your notes. I know it's a little lengthy, but I wanted you to understand this. We will talk about it. After I say this, we'll kind of break it down and make it even a little more simple. It's in your notes. Jesus' intercession on our behalf, hear me here, there's a lot of confusion about this, is not a matter of placating an angry father who wants to destroy us. It is not a matter of continually chanting prayers on behalf of his people. It means he is continually, he continually represents us before the father so that we can draw near through him and that he defends us against Satan's accusations and attacks. Very simply, what Jesus is doing is what I underlined. He is representing us, and he is defending us. He is basically saying, listen, because of what Jesus has done, we have been made in the righteousness of him, so we can come before our Father again. He is representing us. Without him, we cannot do that because of our sin and because of our shame and because of our guilt. But when Jesus came and offered himself and wiped that all away, we now can walk boldly into God's presence. And so he's representing us. He's basically saying they are able to do this, not because of what they have done, but because of what I have done. And when that happens and the enemy begins to say, no, 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 wait a minute. They've sinned. They've rebelled. They've done all these horrible, terrible things. Jesus can say by that same blood, no, no, no no, no, they've been wiped clean. They are forgiven. They are made new. They are no longer dead in their sin, but they are alive in me. It's constantly happening with each individual. Jesus is saying, listen, 
my father, my father, hey, you know, you know that guy, David? You know that guy, David, down in Broomfield, Colorado? You know what? He's accepted me, Father. He's accepted my love and my forgiveness and my grace. He's accepted my sacrificial death. And so you know what? I say he can come boldly before you. I represent him. I say he can do it because he has accepted me. And when the enemy says, no, 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 David's messed up. David's messed all these things up. He's sinned. He's he's said bad things. He's done bad things. He's rebelled against you, Father. How could you allow this to happen? How could you let this sinner, man, walk into your presence? Jesus says, no, he has been forgiven. He has been made new. Your accusations do not hold water. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. He's interceding for you. He's interceding for me. And it's so beautiful. I am so thrilled and excited that we have a God who is busy still. He is, listen, isn't this beautiful? He is still about his Father's work. If Jesus in heaven is still about his Father's work, I cannot think of a single excuse for you and I not to be doing the same. Not one. Not one. Because not only that, But Jesus said, when I go away, I need to go away so I can send the Holy Spirit, the helpmate, to help you accomplish the mission and the work that I've given you to do. We have no excuse. We have no reason not to be busy with God's business. Not saying that we don't take times of rest. But I am saying that a wise, godly person, a person with chokmah, understands the word diligence, understands that not, it's not about just knowing, it's about the action, the knowledge that leads to application, that leads to transformation, is constantly on the wise person's mind and heart, and it's in their desire to be used more and more by God. We're going to close. So much of this is, is, is important because as we understand what God has for us to do, we, we understand that, that, that so much of it has got such big eternal consequences. God has a plan and a purpose for you. God wants you to be busy with doing the things that he's called you to do and do the things that he's asked you to do. And and here's what's so great about that. I just kind of mentioned it a little bit. But God doesn't look at you and say, listen, I need you to do this, I need you to do this, I need you to do this, and then I'm out. Jesus says, I need you to do this, I need you to do this, I need you to do this, I need you to do this. And here's my Holy Spirit that will empower you to accomplish everything I've asked you to do. Do you realize that? Hear me here. It does not matter what God has called you to do. You will accomplish it if you will allow the Holy Spirit to work in you and through you. Now listen, it may be accomplished not in your way, 
but I promise you it will be accomplished in the way that God wants it accomplished. But here's what I've learned. Nothing gets accomplished when we do nothing. Isn't that simple? That's easy. So I don't know what God's called you to. I don't know what God's asked you to be a part of. And I would say, if you say, Aaron, I don't know either, then I'd say, well, guess what? I'm giving you some homework. It's time to get on our face before the Lord and say, God, what are you asking me to do now? What are you asking me to do today? How can I be used by you today? And you go, it may be something small. Remember what we heard. Basically, God is going to start you with some smaller things. It's okay. It's not about what's on your plate or on other people's plates. It's about being faithful. You want to do bigger things? Good for you. That's awesome. That's awesome. But you better be faithful in the small things first or you'll never see something bigger. And God, here's the thing, and God wants you to do things that are bigger. God doesn't look at you and go, I'm giving you this small thing because that's all you're going to ever have. He's got great, amazing plans for you. And you know why sometimes we don't experience them? Because we haven't been faithful in the small things. So we start there. We allow God to use us there. We allow God's wisdom and his direction and his knowledge to help us accomplish those things. And we look to the Holy Spirit to give us direction and hope and help and strength to accomplish them. So let's, let's, let's do this as we close. I'm going to ask that everyone just kind of bow your heads, close your eyes. Again, the only reason is so we can focus. Okay. And I want to ask you really quickly just a couple of questions. Number one, are you a diligent person or are you a lazy person? And listen, I'm not talking about how much time you spend um, scrapbooking or whatever, okay? I'm not talking about how much time you spend even at, at, at your job. And listen, none of those things are bad, but, but that's not what this is really about. I want to ask, have you been lazy or are you diligent with accomplishing the plans and the purposes that God has for your life? I'm not saying we shouldn't work hard in our job and enjoy hobbies. Do not misunderstand me. I know that those things can be used by God to bless uh, your family and bless others. I totally get that. But I think we know if we, if, we're, if we kind of strip it all away and we're really honest with ourselves and with God, we know the answer to that question. We know if we're really busy with our father's business Or father's business is maybe when we have time, and even if we don't, and even if we do, we may find something better to do. Because if we are living that way, I want to encourage you. If you have allowed weeds and thorns and the walls to be broken down, listen, listen. God can use others and yourself and help you to get things back in order. All is not lost, folks. But listen, it all is lost when we just continue to be lazy, when we're not willing to get down, get dirty, and begin to yank out the weeds and yank out and get some rocks piled back up and make those walls big and strong and protective. So wherever you're at, okay, 
If you're saying, hey, I'm, really, I, I'm actually doing well in this season of life. I'm actually being diligent. Listen, listen, keep going because God, I know this, again, you're like, oh, I can't handle anymore. Listen, God will only give you what you can handle with his help, okay? So he's not going to give you more than you can handle, okay? But, but God wants you to continue because God's got even greater things for you to accomplish for his kingdom. For us that are kind of in this season of laziness, listen, hear me here. The time is short, folks. It's time to get busy. It's time to get busy about our Father's work. And He'll help you. He'll help you to do that. So, Father, we come to you right now. We come to you this morning. And, God, we say no matter where we're at on this spectrum, maybe we're, 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 we're diligent and we've been doing a good job in this area. Father, I pray that if we are, that you would give us even more responsibility and more influence. That, Father, you would help us to make your name even greater than we have. That we would, we would see even more blessing and even more investment and even more return for your kingdom. For those of us that are kind of on the other end, and we're just kind of not doing much and not really, we're not, we're not spending time with you. We're not praying to you. We're not reading our word. We're not studying our word. We're not, we're not involved in, 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 in sharpening others and others aren't, we're, we're not allowing others to sharpen us. Whatever it is, Father, we're not busy about being a servant. Whatever it might be that, Father, that you would help us to weed eat. You would help us to, to remove the thorns and you would help us to once again build the walls up strong so that we could be used by you. That whole understanding in Proverbs that, you, that, that Solomon sees is he sees a vineyard, something that is meant to grow, to produce life, to produce life-staining things, but it hasn't been able to produce anything because of the weeds and the thorns and the animals that have come in. When anything sprouts up, an animal comes in and eats it. Father, you called us to be people that grow. And we cannot grow in the way you want us to grow. We cannot flourish in the way you want us to flourish if we're not diligent. And so God, I pray for those of us that need to once again put our nose to the grindstone, as it were, and once again begin working for you, that Father, first and foremost, you will help us to get things back in order. Number two, that you will give us a, maybe a new direction, a new passion, a new understanding of the job and the work that you've called us to do. And number three, that you will help us to be obedient to that call and once again, get our hands busy doing your work and your plan for our lives. Father, you're so good. And we thank you that no matter where we are on this spectrum, we can come to you and you can give us forgiveness and help and encouragement. And we love that you love us personally and know where each of us is to give us exactly what we need. We love you. We thank you so much for this day and this time. And Father, I do pray that for everyone here this morning, everybody that's online, that once again, we would be a wise individual and be diligent with the work of the Lord. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, again, thank you for being here this morning. For those that are online, hey, we love you. We miss you. We hope that you're doing well. Like I said, I know that there's some, 
some sickness in a few homes right now, and so know we're praying for the kiddos and whoever's not feeling well. I hope that they feel well soon. For everybody else that's here, man, thank you so much for being here. I did have an announcement that I forgot during the announcements that I want to make sure I hit really quickly. That is this Wednesday, is the, I believe the 20th. It's our prayer night, okay? Uh, we come together at 7 o'clock to pray here together. Forgot to mention it during the, uh, uh, the uh, normal um, announcements time. We had several announcements. So just a heads up, uh, this Wednesday, 7 o'clock, we'll join together for a time of prayer. We always put some music on and have some time of worship and prayer. If you're not doing anything, man, we'd love to have you join us. It's a very uh, pivotal time in the history of our church, and uh, we need the prayers and we need the guidance and the direction that God has for us. So if, please, if you're available, be here on Wednesday to pray. Let's close in prayer real quick. Father, again, we love you and we thank you. Go with us as we go. You're so good. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you have a wonderful week, a great time uh, this week. Uh, hopefully it's not too hot, and we'll see you on Wednesday for prayer.